morning. Yeah, my name is Helga Dickerhoff. I have been attending TCC since May of this year. I would like to take this opportunity to uh, express my heartfelt thank you for the unexpected warm welcome that I have received here from the beginning. The scripture reading for today is taken from John 3, and I will read all 15 verses. You walk in the truth. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they are testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church by Audopresus, I hope I wouldn't stumble, who loves the first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you will know that our testimony is true. If I may things to write you, I am not willing to write you to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Helga. Probably could have had you read that in German as well, couldn't we have? All right, friends, it's so good to be together. Wow, I think they pulled out some more chairs as well. Welcome to all of you. Um, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it out and follow along. Maybe it's an electronic version. Uh, we prefer the, uh, the good old-fashioned page-turning uh, ones. And we have some of those available on each of the usher cabinets. So if you want to help yourself to one of those, you can grab that. And if you happen to not have a Bible of your own, uh, feel free to take one, and that'll be our gift to you. 
Well, I was, uh, had a chance to get away with Tina for a couple of weeks vacation in mid-August. I'm so grateful for the amazing team that God has put together here at TCC. I'm always so proud of them. Uh, Jenna, who was up here, um, man, we are so blessed to have Jenna, and she knocked it out of the park a couple of weeks ago with her message. For those of you who don't know me, maybe you've only been here a couple of weeks. I met somebody at the golf tournament who I'd never met. And, uh, and he introduced himself and says, yeah, I attend TCC, but it was only for the last couple of weeks, so I felt like I was kind of off the hook. But uh, if you haven't met me, I'm Norv. I'm the lead pastor here at TCC. A little bit about me, if you didn't already know this, is that I was born and raised here in Edmonton, so that's my hometown. Tina, my wife, was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I graduated from high school, went straight to the University of Alberta, went to seminary, which uh, is now Taylor Seminary, just down the street on 23rd Avenue. At the ripe age of 25, <clears throat> I, um, uh, I graduated, I went, moved to Calgary where I served my first church full time. It was during that time that I met Tina from Cleveland in Chicago, of course, because where else would you meet uh, somebody from that distance? Well, a year later, we got married. She moved to, to Calgary. Um, incidentally, it's our 29th wedding anniversary today, so I thought you should know that. Uh, that applause is all for Tina because she, she deserves it because she's put up with me for that long. Um, but uh, after we were married, she moved, to T- Tina Cle- she moved from Cleveland to Calgary after we were married because when I met her, I made it very clear that I was serving a church and I was committed there. <laughs> and so she always jokes about that because I told her that, well, um, I'm committed to Calgary. And so it was sort of like a little message that if you want this to go anywhere, then you better consider moving to, Edmund- or to Calgary at the time. But anyways, uh, we moved a few years later to a small town just outside of Ottawa. And, uh, and so this summer, we thought we planned a trip to go back to the Ottawa Valley. And it was a bit of a homecoming for us. We spent 12 years of our life there. Lots of great memories, some hard ones too. You know, our kids were born there and it was awesome. So it was just great to reconnect with friends and, uh, and go back to some of the golf courses that I used to frequent. That was a lot of fun, very nostalgic and sort of lots of great memories in that. Incidentally, did you guys notice that when Pastor Steve had an opportunity with the mic that he didn't uh, announce the winner of the golf tournament? That's because he came in second. Just You'll have to ask him who won, by the way. And so when we planned this trip to Ottawa, at the time we didn't expect that we'd also have to drive down to Cleveland to celebrate Tina's dad's life, who had passed away just in early July. But even that nine-hour trip was nostalgic because we used to do it so often, you know, even when our kids were little. From growing up in the church to serving two churches as an intern during seminary to now having served three churches full-time, I've had the blessing and the privilege of meeting many, many great people. People who love Jesus, love the church, and have modeled for me what it means to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. People who are gracious and generous. People who are wise and discerning. People who are humble and faithful. And sadly, I've met a few along the way that have left me baffled and confused because their attitude and behavior is not consistent or was not consistent with someone who would profess to be a follower of Jesus. Well, this morning, 
as we explore this letter known as 3 John, only 15 verses, just over 200 words, we're going to meet three characters, and only two are worth imitating. This summer, going all the way back to early uh, May, we have been studying the Apostle John's letters found in the New Testament. Most of that time was spent in 1 John, and then two weeks ago, Jenna opened up 2 John, and so today we wrap up our series, Certainty in Confusing Times, by looking at 3 John. Now, this is a very short but personal letter. It's a warm and honest and yet direct and even confrontational message from the elder, this old pastor shepherd named John, the Apostle John, written to one of his friends and partners in ministry. And as we read this, as, as Jenna called Second John a postcard, that's really more appropriately what it is, we're introduced to these three characters. And each of them teaches us something of what it means or doesn't mean to be a follower of Christ. Two of them are friends of John's. One of them isn't a friend, but rather a fraud. So I invite you to be thinking about two questions this morning as we continue on. First, who are the people that you look to imitate? Who are the people that you look to imitate? What is it about their life and faith that draws you to them, that you then want to see in your own life? And secondly, ask yourself, what is it about my life and faith that might make others want to imitate me? What is it about my life that might make others want to imitate me? But before I introduce you to these three characters, just a bit of background, some context. John, as you probably know by now, if you've been tracking with him, was a church planter. He had planted many churches around Asia Minor, and now he pastored these churches from a distance. And the first letter that John wrote was to address the problem of false doctrine being taught by some in these churches. But now the problem was not just a challenge to what John taught, but to his leadership or to his authority. And 2 and 3 John now apply the principles that we learned from 1 John. John continues to address this how shall we then live question with real practical examples around today specifically the practice of hospitality. You see, hospitality was absolutely crucial in the early church. Christianity was exploding in the Roman Empire and churches were being started everywhere. And Christian teachers and missionaries were on the road, traveling from church to church. And so in the first century, hospitality was a necessity. It was extending one's roof, shelter, and acceptance over a stranger. An outsider would not be accepted into this community unless someone who lived in the community actually treated this outsider as a member of their own household. In other words... The host essentially vouched for the character of the stranger. And therefore, the practice of hospitality didn't just meet a practical need for food and shelter. It actually affirmed the stranger as someone who could be trusted. And it was also a way of then ultimately of endorsing the message and the authority of the one who sent the missionary in the first place. And it's important to understand this because this is the underlying issue that is woven throughout John's words here. And so now the three characters, Gaius, 
Diotrephes, that's fun to say, say it with me. No, I'm just kidding. And Demetrius, three friends or three characters. First of all, Gaius, whom we might call a true friend and partner in ministry. You see, in the opening verses, John refers to himself as the elder. And as we've already seen, he's probably referring to his age, maybe his seniority. And he's essentially stating that he was the pastor of this church, even though he was obviously living at some distance from the church. And in verse 1, he clearly indicates to whom he is writing, and we immediately see how warm and personal he is. And so he writes with affection, he says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And he uses this phrase, dear friend, four times in this short letter. That says a lot just by the repetition of how this was front and center uh, in John's mind as he wrote. Now, there are several men named Gaius in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul had two traveling companions named Gaius. Turns out it was a very common name in the Roman Empire at the time. And so most scholars believe that uh, John's letter was addressed to a, a different Gaius. Now it's clear that this Gaius was well known to John and that they had a deep friendship and partnership in ministry. Later, John refers to Gaius as one of his children which may mean that Gaius came to Christ under John's ministry. Now, John says that he uh, loves him in the truth. You see, the truth of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us was the context in which this love existed. You see, the love that we share amongst one another is grounded in the truth that together we're committed to. And John says several things then about Gaius that I believe are worth imitating. First of all, he was spiritually healthy. He was spiritually healthy. In verse 2, there are indications that Gaius may have been unwell physically, and so John prays that he might find good health. And he writes, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I I like that. Even as your soul is getting along well. In other words, he he was thriving spiritual. He was flourishing. He wasn't just grinding it out, but was really enjoying his faith walk with Jesus. Even if he had some health challenges, his spirit was alive and well. Another thing we learn about Gaius is that he lived what he believed. If you look at verse 3, it says, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Some people had come from Gaius's church and they, they told John how he was both faithful to the truth and walked in the truth. And this news gave John great joy. Not only did Gaius believe the truth of the gospel, but he also lived out what he believed. Now, Gaius had obviously heard the truth of the gospel message. And this has been one consistent message throughout this series. A reminder that Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh, lived, died, and rose again. And that those who believe in him are saved. Nothing more, nothing less. Salvation is a free gift from God. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And when we believe that, there's a certainty to that that gives us an assurance of our faith and our relationship with God. 
But the evidence of that faith, the evidence of that belief, is then walking in love and obedience to God's commands. John himself put it so plainly in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him, that is in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. Or as some translations put it, must walk as Jesus walked. And that is what Gaius did. He had heard the gospel, probably from John himself. He received it and lived it. And the truth had become a way of life for Gaius. He was faithful to it. His life wasn't hidden or secret, but it was obvious to everyone who watched him that there was a consistency between what he believed and what he practiced. And that should always be true. Because Christianity is a way of life. It's a way in which to view and interpret our world. And the way we live out the truth when we walk in faithfulness and obedience to God's commands. The way of Jesus. And that's the way we walk. And we must walk that way. Living what we believe. And John makes it clear that this news about Gaius brought him great joy. And so he adds in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Friends, any pastor will tell you that this is so true. When people are faithfully living out their faith, and it's so encouraging to see that, that that there is in fact no greater joy. In fact, just this week I heard of at least two fantastic responses to Aaron Cranton's message last week. People at TCC walking as Jesus walked. The third thing we can say about Gaius is that he practiced hospitality. You see, Gaius knew that this was a practical practical expression of love and faith, and so he showed hospitality to total strangers. Verse 5 makes this clear. Dear friend, he writes, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though They are strangers to you. So what was Gaius doing? He was showing extraordinary hospitality to complete strangers. He was faithful in loving. John even adds in verse 6, they have told the church about your love. So here was a person who put his love into action. It wasn't just nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. This was boots on the ground kind of love. This was giving the traveling teachers not just a bed and a roof over their heads, but financial support as well. And so Gaius was a true friend and partner in ministry in every sense of the word. And he clearly expressed his love in practical ways. But notice how John not only acknowledges what he had been doing, but he also encourages Gaius to do even more in this regard. Look at verse 6. He says, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. This phrase carries the idea of sending the necessary material support that whatever they needed, most likely money, but John is urging Gaius to just bless them. Bless them. Bless them in abundance. Make sure that they have everything that they need. Why? Because he says it was for the sake of the name that they went out. Whose name? It's not hard to figure out, right? But 
It's interesting maybe to note, if you're doing a trivia question one, one day, that this is the only New Testament book in which the name Jesus is not used. Uh, but it really is very clearly mentioned. It's his name, the name of Jesus that John is talking about. And they went out for the sake of his name. See, these, these travelers weren't just visitors on vacation passing through. They were God's servants who went out and did what they did for the sake of the name, that is, for Jesus. They were missionaries going from church to church, community to community to preach the gospel. And because they were bringing the gospel to pagans, they decided they wouldn't accept anything from the very people they were trying to reach. That makes sense, doesn't it? So it was all the more important that the Christian community would help them. So friends, Gaius is someone that we should imitate. He was spiritually healthy. And we too need to tend to our souls, to practice soul care. We talk a lot about spiritual practices at TCC. Why? Because we want people to be spiritually well, to be growing changing, thriving. We'll talk a little bit more in the coming weeks, but we, we want to emphasize the fact that transformation is the goal, that through the elements of teaching, community, and engaging in spiritual practices, all empowered under the, under the Holy Spirit, that over time, we start to change and we become more like the one that we seek to follow, Jesus. Also, we can say that Gaius lived what he believed. And that's true for us as well. Another example for us to follow, for us to walk with Jesus, to learn from him. And obviously, Gaius practiced hospitality. That's what he was being commended for by John here. That's what he did. He was faithful in expressing his love for other believers, for what he did was good. And that's why John continues in verse 8, We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. You see, hospitality is a common command in the New Testament. Jesus preached it, and Paul, Peter, and the writer of Hebrews, they all wrote about it. It was expected that Christians would show hospitality to one another, that this command is, in fact, part of what it means to walk in the truth. Now, today, hospitality bears some resemblance to the first century, but not much. Today, we tend to view hospitality as having friends over for a meal in our home or hosting a small group. And there is some truth to that. But what about hosting a total stranger? I know today when a missionary visits a church, they're often even put up in a hotel. I mean, I just think that's such a missed opportunity for us. Granted, sometimes a missionary would rather have some time and space to themselves because they're always with people, and so that makes sense. But times have changed. But let me ask you, how well do we know our neighbors If they're strangers to us, wouldn't having them over for a meal to invite conversation be an opportunity to get to know them? I have to think of Aaron's message last Sunday, inviting the homeless into our homes to build mutually vulnerable relationships. You see, whatever we do, let's find ways to express love through these practical actions, hospitality, 
inviting someone outside the family into the family. Now there's another way that we can show hospitality at TCC. And for the most part, it costs us nothing, which maybe begs the question if it's even showing hospitality. But I think it is. Because most Sundays, we have brunch. And every one of us has the opportunity to show hospitality when we invite those we don't know to sit down with you. So just a little side note, a tip. If you're a family of like five or more, don't sit at a round table because there's no room left for anyone else to join you. Okay? Make space. Invite people to come and sit with you. Welcome them. Engage with them. Pay attention to their stories. I I meet the most fascinating people when I have opportunity to sit with you. Someone new, someone strange, might be brought into the family because of that simple act of hospitality. So try it. Now, another way that this passage, I think, is relevant for us today is found in this little phrase, that we may work together that we may work together. You see, ultimately, ministry is about working together. This man, Gaius, was a friend and a partner in ministry. And yes, he demonstrated that through hospitality. But anytime we serve in the church, we're actually imitating the Gaiuses of this world. We are so grateful for the many who will come and say, you know what, TCC is home. We are with you. I want to be part of this family. I want to contribute. And you do. Just think about everything that happens on a Sunday morning alone. What usually happens on a Sunday morning alone. But these chairs didn't just magically show up. We didn't just throw out a bunch of stacks and they just ended up in perfectly straight rows. When we serve brunch, you know, that, all that fruit didn't just get cut on its own. It didn't just kind of fall out of the container that way, Right? Uh, the worship team that's done their part, everybody that's engaged in some way on a Sunday morning is there for a specific purpose. But here's the thing. As you already heard from Jenna, we need more people to come alongside and partner with us in ministry. We need more leaders in children's ministry. I love how Jenna just said, look, it's really about levels of commitment here, and it's okay to say, I want to do it every, every other week. That's a huge commitment. Why? Because it takes place during this service. So what do you do? You need to spend time um, maybe catching the service on YouTube after you've served in the morning or something like that. But we need more leaders as you hear. We, we could use more help with setup. We could use more people to contribute in brunch ministry. I mean, we have lots, but we could always use more because, you know, it just kind of spreads out the load over more people. And so whether it's brunch prep or brunch cleanup or brunch tablecloths, and thanks to those of you who aren't scheduled and yet you'll grab or two and take them home, but if you're doing that every month, why not just raise your hand and say, just schedule me once a month, and then we know that uh, it's taken care of and we're not left to wonder. We could use more people on the Connect team, right? Those who greet at the doors or those who meet new people at the Connect Center. There's so many other areas. You'll hear more in the coming weeks. But here's the point. Listen to me carefully. If you call TCC home, if this is your church family, you need to find at least one area to serve in to contribute your gifts of time and talents at least once a month. 
and sometimes more, but that's kind of that, 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 that expectation that we would have. So just talk to us. Talk to any member of the staff team. Even if it's not their area, they will point you to the right person and they will help you talk through. Some of you come maybe with some great experience. You come with spiritual gifts and you can contribute to what God is doing here at TCC. We can also all contribute through our giving. And thank you for your generosity because it allows us to partner with other ministries and missionaries. And we all, whether we're scheduled or not, can do little things like stacking chairs after the service and putting out tables and cleaning up after brunch and rolling those chairs away and putting stuff away. All these kind of informal acts of service where you're not even scheduled, but we we do want you to have something that you're committed to. Because listen, listen carefully, we are incredibly grateful for the many, many who call TCC home and find meaningful ways to give and to serve. But let's be more like Gaius, imitating him, partnering together in ministry, showing hospitality to one another. Now it would be really good if I could stop here. No amens, please. Um, on a high note with this positive example of Gaius to imitate. But I think in contrast to him, I need us to look at at least this second character, Diotrephes, who we might just describe as a fake and a fraud. You see, in verse 9, John's tone changes as he introduces us to Diotrephes. Diotrephes, frankly, was a troublemaker, the church bully, or we might just call him the church jerk. And he was a real problem. In verses 9 and 10, John calls Diotrephes out. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Did you catch a long list of evil actions? I'll go through these rather quicker than maybe what my notes say. But first of all, I just want you to notice, he says, will not welcome us. He won't welcome John. And he even says, John said, I wrote to the church, and it it appears that maybe this letter was destroyed. Maybe maybe Diotrephes even destroyed it. And by this one action, was demonstrating that he rejected John's pastoral authority and his teaching. Secondly, he was spreading malicious nonsense. He was gossiping about John. He was making stuff up. The Greek word for gossip comes from a root word that was used to describe the action of water boiling up and throwing off bubbles, bubbles that are empty and useless. And so to gossip means to indulge in empty or useless talk. He certainly wasn't building them up. And if that wasn't bad enough... Thirdly, he even refuses to welcome other believers. So he was basically ignoring the counsel and the, and the, and the direction that John had given the church. And then he says in verse 4, or the fourth thing is that he also stops those who want to do so. So there were other people in the church that said, we're going to practice hospitality. And he's like, oh, no, you're not. And then he threatened them because he would put them out of the church. Basically, if they disobeyed, him, it was like, bye-bye. You see, if people didn't side with him, he kicked them out of the church. You just intimidate others. Do what I tell you, or you're out of here. 
What a jerk. <laughs> but really, everything you need to know about diatrophies is found in this little phrase in verse 9. He loves to be first. See, he was driven by personal ambition. He loved being up front. He wasn't a guy that was content to work behind the scenes. He had to have the spotlight. He was proud, arrogant, conceited, always right. Maybe you've met a diatrophies in your past. And the evil actions of this one person perhaps has caused much pain in your life and the life of the church that you were a part of. And because he was a leader... You have a hard time trusting Christian leaders. I'm sorry that you've had to experience that. But I do wonder if for every Diotrephes that you've met, there aren't a hundred Gaiuses. And as painful as your experience was with this one church bully, what about the others who have set a wonderful example of faith, love, and humble servant leadership? It almost seems like John is so aware of the distinct and drastic difference between Gaius and Diotrephes that he writes in verse 11, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. So he's called out Diotrephes' actions as evil, but imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So friends, Imitate what is good. See, Gaius was obedient to the truth. He welcomed strangers into his home. He demonstrated his love in practical ways. Now do that, John says, and you testify that you are from God doing the work of God. And you see, the real contrast between these two characters is that one put others first and the other put himself first. Now, you might think John is being too hard on Diotrephes, that he has no right to judge him and really who can know his heart. Friends, I want to tell you that actions speak for themselves. The fruit of his pride was demonstrated in his actions. Pride. The greatest of all sins. And the exact opposite of Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul said that about Jesus because he was illustrating the attitude that the Philippians should have, not thinking of themselves or their own interests, but in humility considering others better than themselves, putting others first. Friends, that's what Gaius did. Diotrephes, on the other hand, put himself first. And lastly, just a word about Demetrius, a faithful follower. Now, Don doesn't say a lot about this character, so I won't either. But what he does say is important. Verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. He had a good reputation with others. He too lived what he believed, just like Gaius. He took his faith seriously. He gave of his time. He likely was the one who delivered John's postcard to Gaius. He's the perfect example of what it means to imitate 
what is good. Friends, I've said this before, the Christian life can be hard, but it's actually pretty simple. I love falling to Psalm 37, verse 3, trust in the Lord, let's do that, and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Walk humbly with God, acting justly, loving mercy. So I ask you again, who are the examples or the mentors whom you seek to imitate? What is it about your life and my life that might make others want to imitate us? And can we, along with the Apostle Paul, confidently say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example set before us. Father, you have set before us really the ultimate example in Jesus. And we've been reminded again today that if we claim to be in him, that we must live as Jesus did, that we must walk as Jesus walked. Father, we know how he made everybody feel welcome, how he went out of his way to invite people into relationship. So I pray, Father, that we would today on this day that we gather around the Lord's table be reminded that your son Jesus came, lived among us, invited people to follow him, demonstrated to them how they should live, and then ultimately gave his life for our sins before being resurrected to new life. And I thank you that we have this gospel message, this good news, to live and to declare. So Lord, now even as we gather around these tables and take these elements, I pray that we would reflect on our relationship with you And Father, if there are areas of our life that are inconsistent with the way that you call us to live when they are out of alignment, I pray that we would confess that as sin and we would repent and we would ask for your forgiveness. But Father, that these elements would be a reminder of what your son Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. That you have called us to eternal life an abundant life here and now. And I pray, Father, that even as we step into this new school year, this academic year, that we would be people who seek to be spiritually well, who would be thriving spiritually because we surround ourselves with good Christian community. We sit under the teaching or we make ourselves available to teaching that helps us know what it means to follow you. And we engage in practices that you practiced yourself. So help us to walk with you, Jesus, in the way that you walked. We pray these things in Jesus' name.